this morning for these 18 folks who uh, indicated they made a decision for Christ. I do encourage you to pray for them, uh, that God would confirm their faith and help them to grow. Um, Also pray for me as I am uh, doing follow-ups with them. Uh, Actually, me and several other people are meeting with these folks and talking with them and uh, trying to help them to uh, make progress in their faith uh, and to uh, embrace Jesus in a lasting way. So I do encourage you to pray for them. Also want to thank everybody who participated in our Wild Game Feast. I didn't mention that last week, but if you were, uh, if you were here and you were involved in that, you know what a massive effort that was uh, to feed a couple of hundred people. And um, there were a lot of people, both seen and unseen, that participated in that. Guys manning grills and women running uh, food in and out of their kitchens and serving people and setting up tables and uh, helping me gather tables from around the community and all kinds of other things that happened. So if you're a participant in that, uh, thank you, uh, because uh, your service to the Lord in that was essential for us to be able to do that together as a church. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Let's, uh, let's celebrate that. Um, another couple things. Um, on Easter Sunday, I will actually, uh, um, I'll be gone uh, this next week, so I won't be able to announce this, but uh, on Easter Sunday, we are going to have a baptism service as part of our Easter celebration. We'll also have a uh, Monday Thursday, uh, not Monday Thursday, Monday Thursday uh, service where we'll take communion on Thursday night, and then a Good Friday service uh, there leading up to Easter. Um, but on Easter Sunday, we are going to baptize anybody who wants to be baptized who hasn't been baptized. You just need to talk to me between now and then uh, so that we can make sure you're ready to do that. Uh, And then um, uh, one more thing related to small groups today, and this is also related to a prayer request. Uh, I haven't been getting a lot of sleep lately. I've actually been having trouble sleeping. And um, and related to that, your small group questions have the right title, the wrong scripture, and the wrong date, but the right questions <laughs> on them. <laughs> okay, so if you see those and you go, okay, the scripture looks like last week, and the date looks like last week, but the questions are related to this week, you have the right questions. <laughs> okay, so um, do pray for me on that. Um, we, uh, we've been very, very busy, and uh, it's actually hard for me to kind of gear down at night and go to sleep. And so, um, so pray for me on that. But let's pray, and then let's open up God's Word together. So, uh, God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it tells us Uh, how to be wise unto salvation uh, through faith in Jesus Christ, Uh, how our life can be made new, how we can be forgiven of our sin, how we can be assured that we will go to heaven when we die and that we will spend eternity with you. Father, we thank you for your great and precious promises, which are always trustworthy. And the fact that when we believe in Christ, that we know where we're going to go. 
And Father, we ask today as we open up your word that you might help us to understand it and to see it uh, in, and to see in it the things that, uh, that you want us to know and believe. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to be finishing up Romans chapter 4 today. Uh, and I just want to, since it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Romans, uh, we had Larry here last week, um, and it's been a couple of weeks, so let me just back up and remind everybody where we are. So far in the book of Romans, uh, Paul has been telling us thus far that everybody, everybody, both Jews and Gentiles, needs salvation through faith in Christ. Uh, and remember in chapter 1, he talks about how the Gentiles like to pursue their idols. In Paul's day, you know, all the Greek-speaking and Roman uh, world had all kinds of temples dedicated to various gods and goddesses, and they loved their idols. And we don't necessarily have that today, but we have the same behavior today that results from believing in something that isn't true, which is all varieties of sin where people just say, well, if I only get one trip around the merry-go-round, I'm going to at least enjoy Enjoy it and try to grab the brass ring on the way by. And, uh, and so all kinds of hedonistic types of sin that people get into from uh, sexual immorality to um, uh, pursuing greed to whatever. There's a whole list of things he describes there in chapter 1 that result from outright rejection of God. But then in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he talks about how the Jews, in their kind of self-righteous way of thinking, uh, also need salvation. And they thought that, well, if I just do all the right things, you know, if I get circumcised, if I try to keep the law, if I offer the right sacrifices, if I give the right amount of money, well, then God will declare me to be righteous in His sight. And Paul says... Everybody needs salvation through faith in Christ. And so in chapter 4, he's been telling us earlier in the chapter about how Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, how he received righteousness from God. And it wasn't through keeping the law. In fact, it couldn't be from keeping the law because the law hadn't been given yet. In fact, about 430 years elapsed between Abraham and the giving of the law with Moses. So he says, well, how did, how did Abraham then get to be righteous before God? Well, it was by faith that he believed what God had told him, and God counted his faith as righteousness. And he is going to uh, underline that and explain that a little more where we are today. Uh, that it isn't our good deeds, it isn't our participation in religious rituals, it isn't our attempts to obey God's law that gain salvation for us, because we cannot and we are not good enough to receive salvation. So, uh, here in chapter 4, Paul's talking a lot about Abraham and his faith, and, and he wants to talk a lot about Abraham because for a Jewish person, Abraham is the example of faith. He's the founder of their people. He's the one who followed God's instruction to go to a land that I will show you. And then he gave him all these promises that founded the Jewish nation. And so if it's true that Abraham 
came to uh, be regarded as righteous by God, not based on what he did, but based on what he believed, then it must also be possible for us. And that's the point of what we're looking at today. So I want to read you uh, these verses that Abraham, uh, that tell us that Abraham received righteousness by faith in God's promises. So look at verses 13 through 15 here with me, if you would, if you have your Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are some on the back table there. You can feel free to grab one and keep it, okay? Uh, we want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. We make it available uh, for free. So if you want one, grab one. Um, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness uh, of faith. For if it is the adherence of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, the point that Paul is making in these verses, again, is that Abraham received righteousness by faith in God's promises. Now, hear what I'm saying here when I emphasize that word received. In other words, it was not something that he worked for. It was not something that he just tried really, really hard, and then God said, okay, you did good enough and then gave it to him. No. Uh, it's something that he received as a gift. Y'all ever like signed up for a credit card or something and you got a free gift? Right? Yeah. Oh, it was free, all right. You pay for it. Boy, do you pay for it, right? Um, you pay for it far more than whatever the, uh, the, whatever the cost of the item was, right? I signed up for a magazine one time. They sent me a free gym bag. And I was like, oh, that's cool, right? It's like an 88 cent gym bag. I paid $25 for the magazine, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, and you go, yeah, that was free, obviously, right? I, that was built in to the, to the cost of what I'm paying. But Abraham receives righteousness from God as a pure gift. No strings attached, nothing that he did to earn it or work for it or deserve it. He got it as a gift from God. And these verses, verse 13 through 15, tell us how that happened. Uh, because as Paul shares the gospel with his fellow Jews, they are focused on the things that matter to them. And their whole life is devoted. If you're a pious Jew, uh, as then, still today, if you're a pious Jew, your whole life is focused on uh, the things that matter within Judaism, like keeping the law and making sure that your boys on the eighth day get circumcised by the priest. And that you need to do good works. And, and they had a hard time seeing that though God commanded these things, that they were not the basis and the means by which they gained righteousness. They got confused that the things that were supposed to be an outgrowth and an overflow of their existing faith, things like doing good works, became a substitute for them, in many cases, for actually possessing the faith that produces these things. 
And so Paul is trying to say, look, you need to have righteousness that comes in the same way that Abraham, the founder of your faith, got his by faith in God's promises and not by doing good works. Good works and circumcision and keeping the law and all that were uh, not replacements for faith, but meant to be signs of a faith that already existed and that you already possessed. And so way back in Genesis, God made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. And he was promised the land of Canaan and a multitude of descendants and that through him would come blessing for the world. And most importantly, that that blessing would come through his greatest descendant, who would be the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse 13 here. Um, How did Abraham get the promise from God? Was it because Abraham was just a really awesome dude? Was it was just that, that God looked down out of all the people in the world and he said, that guy is the most wonderfully special on all the planet, and I'm going to pick him because he's, he's trying so hard. No. It was given to him as a gift. It says, was it through obeying the law? No. It was through believing God's word to him. God called Abraham to follow him to a new land that he had never been to. He said, arise, leave your father's house and your father's religion and all of the things that belong to your father and go to a land that I will show you. And there I will make you a great nation and I will make you a blessing to all nations. And I will give you a multitude of descendants who will possess this land from generation to generation. Every place that you walk, every place the sole of your foot treads, I will give you as a permanent possession. And so God came to Abraham, told him this, and Abraham believed what God promised, and he went, which is how we know that he believed, right? Um, If, as an example, you go to the doctor, and he tells you, you have a bacterial infection, take amoxicillin and it will clear up, right? How do we know if you believe what the doctor tells you? If you go uh, down to CVS, have the prescription filled and take it, right? You believe the word from the doctor. In the same way, how do we know that Abraham believed what God told him? Because when God came to him and told him, go do this, he got up, saddled his donkey and got his possessions together and went, right? He believed what God had told him. Um, and, and verse 14 and 15, look at those here. Um, he's saying, Paul is saying, righteousness has to come to us by faith. Abraham was declared righteous 400 years, 430 to be precise, uh, to, the, to the law being given at Sinai. And he remains the pattern for our faith as well. Because righteousness can't be gained by keeping the law. Do you know why, by the way, that righteousness can't be gained by keeping the law? Because you can't keep it perfectly. You can't keep it perfectly. No one can keep it perfectly, in fact. That's part of Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember? When he says, You have heard that it was said to the men of old... 
you shall not commit adultery. And what the Jews thought that meant was, well, as long as I don't climb into bed with anybody I'm not married to, then I'm on the good side of the law. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's the minimum. Let me tell you what the full standard is. You not only have to be pure with your body, you have to be pure with your mind. And they went, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Right? And he says, you've heard it said to the men of old, you shall not commit murder. So as long as you don't like, you know, take a hammer to some to your neighbor or your spouse or whoever and kill them, then you're good. Right. That's what they thought. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's not just what you it's not just that you don't physically assault somebody so that they die. You also have to not hate them. You have to not call them names. I see those looks on your faces, right? And I'm thinking to myself, and you're thinking to yourself, if that's the standard, I'm in a heap of trouble, right? Because how many times have I driven down the street and, and seen someone do something stupid in front of me and used a word that I thought adequately described how stupid I thought they were being, right? What a moron, you know what I mean? And Jesus says, if you say... And he uses a Hebrew word, raka, which means empty head. You know, that's what it means. You say, your English equivalent would be, you moron, you numbskull, you know, whatever, okay? That if you do that, you're liable to God's judgment. Because it's not just the act of murder, it's also the attitude toward other people that leads to murder that also counts. So how are we doing so far? That's two of the ten, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm in trouble, right? I need help. And, he's, and the reason that Paul is going to so much length to explain that Abraham did not gain righteousness to keeping, by keeping the law is because you cannot keep it. Amen? You cannot keep it. You cannot keep it. There is no way that we can be good enough. What we need is not better obedience, but a different heart which produces obedience. And so he's saying, look, law-keeping, what it does is it serves to bring God's judgment on those who disobey it. And Abraham didn't know what God's law was. It, he was. He lived before it was given. And so he, ha- he couldn't obtain righteousness by obeying the law because it didn't exist. But that didn't mean he was innocent. It didn't mean he was innocent. Ignorance of the law is no excuse, right? I found that out. You know, I thought I was not speeding. I found out I passed a sign that lowered the speed limit, right? Ignorance of the law is no excuse, right? Um, You know, just because you think you're doing right doesn't mean that you necessarily are. And so even Abraham, who lived before the law existed, needed to have a different way of righteousness than obedience to God's law. Not only because he didn't know what it was, but also because even if he did know, he couldn't have kept it. And you can't keep it either. 
Uh, we are like Abraham. His point here is that, that he's making is that we are like Abraham, recipients of God's promises. And we receive them the same way that he did by faith. We receive them the same way Abraham did by faith. So I want to underline that with you here in verse 16 to 25. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. By the, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, look at verse 16 and 17 with me. Part of it, God's promise to Abraham was that he would be the father of many nations. And what Paul is saying here is that the promise was fulfilled to Abraham, not just physically, although it was fulfilled that way. You know, all of the, there's approximately 100 million Arabs in the world that descend from Abraham through his son Ishmael that he had with uh, Hagar. And there's another uh, 14 to 20 million, depending on how you do your counting, um, Jews who descend from Abraham through his wife Sarah. And, and there are also lots of little bitty tribes that used to exist, people like the Midianites, who descended from Abraham, uh, who don't exist historically anymore, but who did. And Abraham was the father physically of many nations. But he is also the father of those who imitate his faith. Paul, that's what he's trying to tell us here, is that those who have the faith of Abraham are also, in a spiritual sense, children of Abraham. We are grafted in, if you will, to the promise that God made to Abraham of a blessing to all nations because we are recipients of a blessing that was first given to Abraham and promised to his descendants that he would be a blessing to the world and we are part of the world that was blessed through Abraham. That he has in that sense become our father. Um, and we don't, while we don't have the law, like those who descended uh, from Abraham and were given the law by Moses did, 
if we exercise faith like Abraham, according to verse, um, let's look at the, look at the verse here. According to verse 16, we receive the promise based on grace that is guaranteed to all of his offspring, not just his physical descendants, but also us who have his faith, that according to grace, we get righteousness. Now what's grace? Uh, Grace means that God gives us as a gift that which we do not deserve. That which we do not deserve. And by the way, there's another term in Scripture that is related to it. It's the word mercy. Mercy means that we don't get what we do deserve. Right? What we do deserve is God's punishment. But because of God's grace, what we get is righteousness and peace and salvation and forgiveness. Two sides of the same coin. You can call them both grace if you want. Because we don't get from God what we do deserve. And we receive what we could never deserve. Which is forgiveness and love and peace. Um... And, and some of you might be wondering about all these things because uh, Abraham didn't know, as far as, as far as we know, all that God's promises would eventually mean. I actually was asked this question by somebody this last week. Well, you know, what, did, what is it that Abraham believed? That how, how do we know what he believed and what we believed and whether they're the same thing? Well, here's what we do know, according to Paul that his faith had the same object as ours. His content varied, but his faith had the same object. Uh, He believed in the God who told him that he would be the father of many nations. That's what the scripture says. He believed in in the one who told him he would be the father of many nations. Uh, and that that God gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. Uh, he believed in that God and in his promises to him. How do we know that he believed? Because not only does the scripture tell us, but we have his own actions that point out that he believed what God had told him. And he also encountered... Um, also, we see his faith was real because it was something which overcame potential obstacles. Right? Look at the text with me. Abraham believed despite the obstacles that might be there. Uh, look at the end of verse 17. Um, the end of the verse says that he believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that don't exist. Um, you remember how old Abraham was when he had Isaac? What's the text say? A hundred. He was a hundred years old. His wife was a little more spry. She was only 90. She was only 90, right? And uh, between them, they had a grand total of how many children? One. Okay. And uh, Abraham believed God anyway, even though 
At the end of his life, he, he, and, he, and, he and Sarah, you know, they're about as creaky as they could possibly be, right? And here they are pushing their stroller around. And God has told them, you're going to be the father of, a, of many, not just a nation, but many nations. And they have to their credit at the end of their life, one kid. I mean, I'm not denigrating someone who has an, who has an only child, but what I am saying is that it doesn't look very much like a mighty nation. Right? It does not look like God's promise is being obviously and clearly fulfilled because we've got one kid. And he says, he says, Paul says about this, that God, that he believed that God could raise the dead and he could also call into existence things that don't exist, right? As you look at Abraham's family, it's not a nation. But he believed that God could call into existence things that don't yet exist. In fact, after, after four generations, there's only 70 people. There's fewer people in the whole nation of Israel after four generations than there are people in this room. And Abraham continued to believe God and his word and his promise because he believed that God could call into existence things that do not exist. And on top of that, he continued to believe God's promise. This is just a little illusion when it says he believed in a God who raises the dead. Any of y'all remember what the most famous story involving that boy is? God tells Abraham, take your boy and go sacrifice him on the mountain I will show you. And Abraham got up and went. Why? Because he believed, God told me, this is going to be the miracle kid. And if I'm supposed to kill him, what well, must be that God is going to show me that he can raise the dead. Because he told me, this is the kid of promise. This is the one through whom the blessing to the world is going to come. This is the one who is going to be the mighty nation. This is the one. And so if God tells me to kill him, he must have some other plan. He must be a God who can raise the dead. And the book of Hebrews says, figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead, even though he didn't put him to death. Because his, in Abraham's mind, my kid has already been sacrificed. God stopped him at the last minute. If you remember. Um, and he told him, verse 18, so shall your offspring be. In hope, he believed against hope that he would become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. In other words... Uh, it, he, Paul was calling to mind where God gave this promise to Abraham and he, and he told him, go out and look up at the stars at night. And remember, this is at a time when there are no electric lights. Where the brightest thing you have at night is candles or maybe a little oil lamp. But I went out in the desert one time. I remember doing this with Karen. We were in uh, Elephant Butte, New Mexico, which is a beautiful area. And there's this monstrous lake that's out there. And we were out on a buddy of mine's boat, and we, we laid down in the floor of the boat. And we just looked at the stars. 
these uh, the four of us were just laying there looking at the stars. And you have never seen stars until you have been out in the desert, out away from all of the other lights. And you can see stars that you have never seen in your life. So, so that's what God tells Abraham. Go out, and you're in the desert. Go out, lay on your back, look at the stars. Start counting. So shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed God's promise. And, and on top of that, here's another obstacle that Abraham had to overcome by faith. Verse 19 says, he believed, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Now, Abraham, and what he's trying to say there is this, Abraham at a hundred years old, his reproductive capabilities have come to an end. They have ceased. That ship has left the harbor, okay? And Sarah is 90 years old. Uh, She is about 35, maybe 40, maybe 50 years postmenopausal. And she had never had a baby when she was capable. And looking around, you know, it's been a few years since we were shopping at Babies R Us. Okay, I kind of miss those years. They were they were great years. We had a lot of fun. Um, but the last time I was there, what I did not see was any couples whose combined ages were 190 pushing any strollers around. And yet, looking at this, Abraham nevertheless believed God that it was not only possible, but was going to happen. How many of you, I mean, if... If the Lord told you, hey, by the way, you're going to have a baby, at your age would be shocked, <laughs> right? I mean, I would be greatly surprised for all kinds of reasons, right? If, if he said, uh, by the way, you and Karen are going to uh, rock another baby next year, and it will be yours. You're not going to adopt. You're going to have this kid. Be like, really? Are you sure about this, Lord? You know? I mean, hallelujah, but really? Uh, And what happens here is they believe the word of God who gives life to what is dead. And God did a miracle for both of them. He restored their reproductive capabilities, their functionality, so they could have then a miracle baby. And they trusted God and saw his promise to accomplish what he had told them would happen. Now that's pretty good. Um, I, I can tell you, I've never had to trust God for anything that was that level of impossible. And yet Abraham did it. He believed God. He believed God's promise. And he believed... Um, because in verse 20 20 through 22, we see the objective. So we've seen the object, the obstacles, and now the objective of Abraham's faith, which was to see God's glory revealed as his promises to him were kept. Abraham 
not only really believed that God could do what he promised and make a hundred-year-old man the father of nations, he also believed that God would do what he had promised. He praised God for his promise, and then he started looking for it to be fulfilled. He started going, well, God told me we're having a baby. All right, sweetie, it's time for a second honeymoon. We're having this baby next year. He believed God's promise. He told Sarah and went to be with her. He believed God. He was fully convinced that God could and would keep his promise. And therefore, verse 22 says, it was counted to him as righteousness. His faith was counted as righteousness. Now, look at uh, verses 23 through 25. This tells us about the outcome of Abraham's faith. Well, they tell us that the story that we read in Genesis is not just a story about Abraham. It's a true story, by the way. This really did happen. But we're not just told this story. It's not just recorded for us just so we can go, hey, yay, Abraham, good job, dude. Trust God. Awesome, right? That, that is there. That is there for us to understand that just as God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness, that you obtain righteousness before God in exactly the same way. Not necessarily for the same reasons, believing that God is going to give you a child when you're a combined age with your spouse is 190. That only happened once, so far as we know. But that the means of obtaining righteousness is still the same. It's believing what God has promised and Abraham did not know that who the Messiah was going to be. He did not know what his name was. He did not know exactly how salvation was going to transpire and bring blessing to the world. But he believed what God had said, that it would happen, and that it would happen through Isaac's descendants that he would have. And the method, in other words, is still the same. How did, God, how did Abraham get to be declared righteous before God? He believed God's promise to him. By faith alone, Abraham became a recipient of God's grace and blessing and salvation. So here's the question. If that's true, and Paul says, this story is for us, and it is, how do you receive God's righteousness and blessing and salvation. You get it in exactly the same way. By grace, in other words, as a gift, through faith in what God has promised, and in that alone. Not by works, not by keeping the law, not by trying to be a good person, but by grace as a gift through trusting God and His promise alone. By grace, through faith alone, Abraham believed in a descendant to be born who would be the Messiah whom God had promised. And we believe in a Messiah who has come and who has fulfilled God's promise to Abraham. And when we believe in God's promise and receive Jesus as the Messiah who died on the cross as our substitute for our sins, as, as Paul says here, 
then we receive God's gift of righteousness as a gift by grace alone. We don't work for it. We don't keep the law in order to get it. We don't go through some kind of religious ritual and then have it conferred. It is a gift that comes to us by grace through faith in Christ alone. If you get nothing else out of our study from Romans, okay? There's 16 chapters in this book. We'll go through every one of them. But if you get nothing else out of the entire book of Romans, get this in lights that our salvation comes to us by grace through faith in Christ alone. If you want the theme of the book of Romans, that's it. And baby, that is the best news in the entire world. That our salvation comes to us not based on our works, not based on being a good person, not based on if you clean up your life and go to church, not based on if you're really generous with your money, not based on if you talk nice to the checkout lady, and not based on if you are a good husband or a good wife or a good parent or a good child, but based simply in the grace and mercy and faithfulness and love of God who gives us His righteousness as a gift. Amen? And when... I'm going to cheat, because I'm not going to be here next week to preach this verse, so I'm going to read it to you anyway. All right? Because I can't wait to tell you. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... This is the result... This is what happens if you believe in God's promise and receive the gift of righteousness from God by faith in Christ alone. What you get is this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, in other words, since we have believed what God promised us, we, circle this word, have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe God's promises to you, if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead to give you new life, you have peace with God. Not will have in the future, not might have if you behave yourself. You have peace with God right now. Amen. You have it right now. And God welcomes you as his child. And he loves you as his son and daughter. And you receive it in the same way Abraham received his righteousness, by grace through faith in what God has promised and delivered on. Amen. I'll let Stephen preach that verse next week. That's good stuff. All right. But let's pray right now. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that it is not based on works of righteousness which we have done, but according to your mercy that you save us. It is according to your grace that you withhold from us that which we do deserve. And you grant us that which we cannot earn, salvation, forgiveness, peace with God. 
Father, we love you and we thank you for your blessing. We thank you that salvation comes to all who believe in the grace and mercy of God, in the provision of his promise of the Son who came and died and rose, that we might have new life. And Father, we thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.